on surface level, if we take this gospel passage at its literal, uh, at least the way it's translated, we might say one of two things. First, we might say, finally, there's a commandment I can follow. It's easier to hate than it is to love, after all, isn't it? And hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even one's own life. I do have to admit, I find it really easy to hate my wife. But, of course, we, we, uh, we also know that elsewhere, Jesus says to love our enemies. How is it we're to love our enemies but hate our family? Well, if you want to get crass, sometimes it's easier to hate those you know best. But the other side of it might be, wait a minute. So we might set it completely aside as, as some rambling of, of Jesus that, that we don't quite understand and not ponder what it means. And the challenge is for us to look a little deeper, to look at not what the current words and our current understanding of the word hate is, but perhaps a little deeper in order to balance it out. Because how can we be called to love everyone and yet hate? First, we have to remember in our modern vernacular and vocabulary, hate means a despising, a loathing, a feeling of that, that we, if we really hate somebody, we might even have a physical response. When we see them, we, we might feel our pulse quickening, our, our blood pressure rising, our heat, uh, our faces maybe even getting a little red. This, this feeling of, I would rather not even that person be around. Or if we're really crass, we might even say, I'd rather that person be dead. That is hate in the extreme. And that is not what this word here is referring to. There is also a concept that when we love properly, other things take lesser precedent. And it could be said, and it was said in the ancient world, that it is a form of hate. That when we put others second or third or fifth, that we're properly ordering, maybe, but they use the word hate to describe that order. And it's a hard concept for us to understand, perhaps, but it's a concept that uh, if we see it, we begin to see it everywhere. And I have to admit, and there's been a number of times I've seen it, but I've never seen it so clearly as in the case of one of my mother's first cousins. She, uh, at an early age, felt the call of the Lord to religious life. And because she was only exposed to one particular style of religious teaching orders, she became a school sister of Notre Dame. After some years there, and actually having some great joy and consolation in that community, she discovered there were other forms of religious life, more in particular the cloistered communities, the contemplative communities. And she discerned a call to the Poor Clare Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. Her community actually just basically disbanded and got assumed into another Poor Clare community in Ohio because they were in, she was in Washington, D.C., and their community got too old to thrive. I find that sad that Washington, D.C. no longer has that praying community in there. But as she was 
preparing to enter this cloistered community, she was told she will be allowed to return home only twice. Once when her father died and once when her mother died. And God forbid they should die at the same time, because then she would only be allowed to come home once. She was sharing that with her father, and her father was a convert to the faith. He didn't fully understand religious life, supported her, but didn't fully understand. He said, no, 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 you will not enter that religious community. Please don't enter. I will never see you again. And she said, Dad, I have to. But I'm never going to see you again. Dad, I have to. Well, they're going to change that law. Dad, <laughs> you, you don't, don't hope on it. Well, about three years after she joined that community, they changed the law. She was able to come home a number of times, which is why I got to know her as well as I did, because every time she's been home, I've been able to see her. The last time she was home was 11 years ago, as she celebrated 60, her 60th anniversary of being in religious life. But she shared her vocation story at that time with the community, the, the parish that she had grown up in, and shared this exact story. She wasn't saying no necessarily to her father when she left, but she was, was saying yes first to God. And that meant then she had to take that chance that to leave her father and mother, to leave and enter a community that was, at the time, so strict that they were told, you will not leave. They had groceries brought into them. To get shoes, the shoemaker came in, and they stuck their, stuck their foot outside a door, a little door, and they, the shoemaker would measure their feet and make the shoes and put them on, but he would never see them. They lived a complete, completely cloistered life that so many of us can't even begin to grasp. She was saying no to her family because she was saying yes first to the Lord who was calling her to adoration, to prayer. That's what this kind of hate is. It's not the despising, but the rather of putting second. When we are called to follow Jesus, and all of us are, that's what we must do. And so often we might think, well, this is a challenge. It's easier to love those around us, despite what I had just said at the beginning, than the Lord whom we do not see, the Lord who does not stand in front of us and vocally and audibly tell us, this is what I want you to do, or this is how I want you to love me. And yet, if we attempt to love others without loving God first, it's a failure. It's difficult. In fact, it almost always fails. And don't we see that in our world where there's a rejection of God, how the love of others becomes twisted? We are called to love, yes, but to love God first and then our neighbor. And it's in that order. And this is part of what it means to take up our cross and to follow Jesus. And he invites us in this gospel passage to then consider what it takes to be a follower. Which of us would begin constructing a tower without knowing whether we have the means to finish it? Now, these days, 
with supplies being so short, we better have all the means, all the supplies we need on the ground before we even begin. Otherwise, it may never be completed, whether we have the funds or not. And the Lord is inviting us to, con- to calculate the same thing. Or like a, a king going into battle. Do we have the strength to complete the battle? Do we have the strength to stand up against the foe who might be coming at us with even more strength than we thought? And to know, certainly, the beautiful thing about taking up our cross, when we follow the Lord, we know elsewhere he tells us, come to me all who are weary and find life burdensome. Take my yoke upon your shoulders and learn from me that he doesn't abandon us to carry the cross alone, but he carries it with us. But we have to first invite him to be with us. And when we take up that cross, we know it brings us to sometimes difficult places, difficult decisions. The decision my cousin, Sister Inez, made some 67 years ago or something like that. Or perhaps a decision like Onesimus had to make in today's second reading. Talk about a hard decision. Onesimus was a servant, an indentured servant. Most likely had sold himself into servitude to Philemon. For whatever reason, he ran away from Philemon. And St. Paul found him, took him in under his wing, helped him convert to the Catholic faith knowing that Philemon himself had been a follower for a while, and wrote this letter to Philemon, St. Paul did, to tell him, take Onesimus back and free him. And if you would be so kind, send him back to me. But Onesimus had to take that chance to go back with a letter in hand to say, I ran away from you, and I throw myself on your mercy. Help me to follow Jesus a little bit more. It's believed that Philemon released Onesimus to serve St. Paul the rest of his life. But Philemon, too, had a tough decision. If he really wanted to be a follower of Jesus Christ, he had to let Onesimus go. He had to release him. And perhaps we can even talk about St. Paul, how he could have just simply not written the letter, pretended he had never seen Onesimus, kept Onesimus as a servant himself, not as an indentured servant, but somebody who helped him. Yet, following the Lord meant taking that chance. I find it fun to think about this. Onesimus means useful, and that's exactly who he was to St. Paul. And he was useful for challenging Philmon's faith. We might not be called to the same tough decision, whether it's entering the cloister life or going back to our master, but sometimes we are called. The question is, do we love God more than we love those around us? And once we love God properly, then we can love others more properly, too. First, we have to make that calculation. Do I have what it takes? And the mystery of the, the answer is, once we love God, the answer is always yes. 